Hello. So it's episode eight, right? Yeah, that's the that's the one going strong. Uh, really enjoying so far because we've covered a number of topics through Design Company, uh, which is previous universality. So I'm looking forward to today's topic, namely the taboo subject of money and its various aspects, which we're going to discover today. It's the big M subject, yeah, and so actively uh, relevant right now, where there is a whole bunch of people who've got too much of it and then a whole bunch of people who've got too little of it, right? So some sort of disbalance happening all around the world. Uh, what, what's your first thing that comes uh, to mind when we mention the word money? I would see it as energy. I mean, there's so many things. Um, I think that's just a good way to dive straight into the purpose of money, right? So for me, if I look at what is the use of money, it's basically a tool for getting stuff that I want. And it's also a nice way of keeping score on the amount of value that I'm delivering in the world. So I, I, I keep oscillating in my mind between thinking of money as er energy, as currency, as cash flow, as a unit of accounting for value across, uh, you know, the ecosystem of business as, uh, exchange like a, a exchange mechanism for goods and services and also as language uh and so so all i think all those things are correct and they are all useful definitions and useful ways of thinking about money uh and when we think about purpose people uh, systems innovation and products, then all those ways of thinking about money certainly can play a very important role in accounting for all of that, measuring it, keeping track of it, uh, optimizing it, and so on. So that, that's really kind of where my mind's at with, with all of this. And certainly right now, there seems to be a lot of talk around how we can rebalance things and, and, and so on. So um, that, that's where my mind's at. <laughs> I mean, definitely. I mean, you have the, you know, the good old classic economic definition of money, you know, it's something durable, so you can store money and save over time. It's portable, so, you know, it's easy to transport. It's divisible, so you have subunits. And it's pretty acceptable and uniform in the sense that it's very neutral, you know. So once I've given you money for X, that transaction is considered closed. So um, I think what's interesting today is not to look so much at kind of the macro and the economic definition of money, because I think that's quite accepted. I think what's more interesting is to look at the psychological and social aspects of money and, and economical, but not in the sense of financial, but really, you know, money as a tool for social organization and to see how that kind of permeates everywhere. Uh, would, would you agree on that? I think it's also valuable to to think about money as a, as a fuel. In some sense, money is also like a material that that keeps the company fueled. It's mm. like the, the 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 fuel for the engine. And certainly, in a designed company model, it's the company that's generating that fuel, but it's also burning that fuel to keep going and rotate the wheel of designed company. Uh, faster and certainly in a sustainable way, um, and and there is that like if we use the analogy of of, of fuel, uh, there is the the notion of using fuel wisely, right? Having to refill the tank and also saving it, uh, you know, 
wherever possible and conserving it and having an engine that is optimal uh, to cons consume and conserve that fuel uh, and get you as long way as possible without having to refill the tank. So if if sort of raising money from the bank or wherever is refilling the tank, we better have a company model that can make the best use of that tank and maybe uh, recharge the batteries without having to tap into the fuel uh, as much, uh, you know, as 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 other companies have to uh, do so. And you know, again, right now we're having a situation where so many companies have so quickly ran out of money and ran out of that fuel that they're having to uh, reach out to some sort of petrol station that can refill them. Otherwise, they can no longer continue the journey. And the story of uh, tortoise and the hare keeps coming to my mind around that it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And uh, what that really means is that if S hits the fan, the journey has to continue. We can't just stop. Uh, and even if we do stop, then we've got to be able to bear that standstill uh, for, for a certain period of time without everything kind of collapsing down. Uh, and money is certainly like the key ingredient in all of that. So that's why it's in the design company model. Uh, but at the same time, it's, it's you know, in, in the model at the place where it is after products and all that kind of stuff. And so that's that, what you said there is perfect. That's exactly the kind of stuff I want to be talking about today. So really the relationship we have to money both as individuals um, and as companies, right? Um, and so, I mean, if you, if you, if you go into this kind of people or design company and, you know, money, um, I would say what we're seeing now is kind of a shift in values because, you know, for many years, you know, even from the industrial era and even up until the 60s, 70s, um, society was built around, you know, a small group of capitalists having all the cash, getting the industrial work done, and having people just kind of subsist, right? Now, if you look at the kind of second half of the 20th century there, we saw a golden era for like, you know, maybe 30, 40 years, 50 years, where people like had this middle class dream, right? Where money was abundant, where people could like, you know, go to, go to college for a very low amount, buy a house. And so, we kind of have this, this unique time in history where there was a really good technological and social development and then money was also rising and comfort was rising at the same time. And so what we've seen more recently is people are actually starting to obsess a bit less about money, at least it's coming out, and more about values, immaterial things like purpose, impact, uh, this kind of thing. But there's a big trauma left over in society around money because if you look at, for example, the educational system, it's basically been built to train workers and also as a promise that you can access the best paying jobs with it. So I think that if we're looking at the people side of money, at least one of the big things is people, how people value money in their life and how they go beyond just building a life that's dedicated to the acquisition of income. I mean, you know, I love money for the right way. I, you know, my goal is to be like super wealthy, but I don't really give a damn about money. I just see it as a useful tool. And so when I see people, you know, that say, oh, I struggle to get to this point in my life. I work so hard. I don't see why others would have it easy. I think there's a big trauma there around money that because it's kind of seen as scarce and people fight so much to get it, they become unable to see the forest of humans around them for the tree of struggle that's in front of them or behind them. So 
I think one, one thing, you know, as I was saying the previous statement that I was saying, something came to my mind, which is actually, you know, as, as I kind of contemplate on this model, I get sort of new insights. And I think the, the, the way in which I designed this is a lot of kind of subconscious competence, uh, or as it calls unconscious competence that I've baked into this model. So I, kind of like as, as we talk about it, it comes out more and more because if you think about it, the business existed before money right that, that's why it's important to have products before money because in the before money times people exchanged products and services mm. right uh, and Value. money only yeah exactly and so and and bartered right so the barter system can always be a fallback when money collapses that's also important why products and services are, are, are before money, right? But whenever people put money before products and services, straight away you're getting this uh, sort of, you know, so to use the phrase, ask about face kind of approach. And um, so I think a lot of people now are starting to realize that as their suppliers and their customers are drying up on the fuel, they're falling back into a, a bit more of a barter system where they're saying, hey, how about we, do, we scratch your back on this and you scratch our back on this so that just we can keep going uh, and keep the design company model going and the wheel rolling without the money even being at play. And you know, the other side of this is that with the Federal Reserve deciding to print unlimited amount of fiat currency going forward and removing all the kind of fractional reserve requirements, money has now literally become an unlimited supply of something that effectively becomes worthless. Um, and it's something that a lot of economists have been sort of flagging up uh, more and more. And of course, then you know, we start talking about blockchain, cryptocurrencies, and some of these kind of centralized um, uh, blockchains that might come into play with central uh, central banks and so on, and, and where, where the system might go with all of that. And that seems to be kind of bubbling under with central bank in, in France, central bank in UK, and maybe even some sort of world central bank kind of talking about printing out cryptocurrencies in which money becomes a lot more uh, accounted for resource that then will need to be redistributed in a way that's a lot more balanced like the design company model is trying to balance things out and not and, and say that it's not just about growth or just about innovation or just about the product or just even about people it's about all these seven things and, and getting the right balance across all of that because then you get all of them working uh, much more um, in harmony so that's interesting that you mentioned systems. I mean, there's so many things to say there, but one or two that pop out with me is, first of all, you mentioned the, you know, the Fed, the central banks. Um, I think there's definitely something to be said in terms of the role of the government or experts ensuring the monetary policy to ensure that your pounds or euros can buy you an apple today and an apple tomorrow. So obviously, you know, having these kind of movements. And yeah, I need a new Mac. I need a new Mac very soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, having this kind of expert system to, you know, to regulate the distribution of money, the people that are allowed to do banks, that's good, right? But I think in terms of the, the systems of themselves of assignment of money, um, there is one thing for me that needs to evolve. There's a political view, but I think it's the only solution is if you look at today, right? Look at 
the way we measure success in our society, GDP. So if I go tomorrow and you know, I start drilling for, drilling for shale gas, I'm going to raise the GDP, but I'm destroying the planet. And that energy could have potentially been produced with alternative sources of energy that would have funded R&D, that would have funded technology. So the value there is really not being counted in the right way. So that's the first thing is, how do we measure the value that we're producing and really kind of add other factors than just money to monetary value? Even money is good, clear subjective. How do we kind of modulate that? The second thing, talking about systematic, is, again, how measuring success. If you look at every single government today, they keep talking about unemployment rate. Um, but my view of that is that that's actually an antiquated view because you're now in an era of automation and technology. And so to pretend that everybody's going to have a job in the future, I think is nonsense, you know? I think instead what we should be doing is measuring things like quality of life, job satisfaction, you know, purpose, these kind of things, right? Really people's contribution and also ensuring that all these survival jobs are kind of not needed. And that's why I'm a big proponent of universal basic income because I think that today there's a lot of jobs that are irrelevant and okay, some of these people might lose a bit of a standard of living, but collectively, if we just stop saying, hey, you know, everybody needs to struggle and we say, okay, let's get let's let the driven people make out the money, but let's make sure the initial minimal standard is there and let's give people the opportunity to figure out what their purpose is, what their skills are, what they want to do, rather than you know formatting them and shuffling them from very early age into vocation and career. Because the truth is in today, in a world like today, you're not going to have the same job for 40 years. You can learn things, you can evolve, you can pick up new practices. So that's why I think, you know, in terms of a systematic approach, it needs to be a cultural shift in terms of understanding that, okay, money is useful for stuff, but it's not the sole indicator of human value. And so we need to guarantee these fundamental rights to basic life to every human and then have a healthy relationship to money with regards to the rest. So it's a, it's a, it's a very, very, uh, essentially it's a wicked problem because what's happening right now is that each one of the seven design company areas are being impacted and potentially impacted quite heavily. Uh, so, you know, what's the purpose of our lives, you know, with 7.5 billion people around the world trying to live? and maybe trying to live a life that's worth living. What's the purpose of that? How can we do that? What, what, you know, what's a purposeful way and meaningful way to do that? Who are the people who are you know, having to sacrifice something or you know, people who are having to sort of change their lives and ways of going about things? You know, how, how might the new system rebalance itself with regards to money, with regards to issuing, printing money, assigning money, taxing people, all that kind of stuff. These are hugely complicated uh, things to think through in the best of times. Then innovation, you know, what really matters, what really counts versus, you know, are, are we doing this, what's, what's um, considered like, um, you know, sometimes I refer to it as turbo folk, but it's basically like uh, innovation for the sake of pr like pretty stuff, pretty new things that don't really mean anything that have no real purpose uh like you know how many condominiums do we need around the world that are just kind of bought by rich people to never be used you know to just kind of 
people for their appreciation value. And then in terms of products, which products do we have? You know, in the pandemic, we need more of these like uh, protective masks, testing kits, this and that uh, versus, you know, Ferraris, yachts, uh, uh, cruise ships, and uh, God knows what kind of polluting stuff. Uh, and then in terms of the money, how that works, who issues it, how, it's, how is it tracked in terms of spending, taxed, uh, how does it even work? Is it a digital thing? Is it a paper, money, cash? You know, what, what are the implications of that? What's the even accessibility of that? Because some of the older people or poor people don't even have devices on which you could load up some sort of crypto wallet and so on. So imagine for somebody who's never even used anything digital, now suddenly they're having to go to a crypto wallet, right? That says, and people say, hey, on this thing is what you can use to buy your bread, milk, and basic necessities. Right? Like, what is even like, what are we even talking about here? Imagine what this kind of like cognitive shift that people need to make. And then only we get to growth as in, can we survive at all? And then if we can survive, can we thrive at all, right? And that's the stuff that's getting somehow rebalanced, but it seems to be being rebalanced in exactly the opposite way of what it should be. <laughs> Makes sense. So you mentioned a couple topics then. Really, if I had to look at the topic of innovation with regards to money, I think the biggest innovation will just come from more of a social reconfiguration of how we distribute wealth right because if you look at innovation in the traditional sense you know you could say it's the fintech stuff so all of these you know shared shared solutions for having a shared piggy bank to make payments uh, crowdfunding um you know that's all good the disintermediation stuff you know so blockchain uh, kickstarter etc that's all interesting but i think that's only the tip of the iceberg because really what we're doing there is just kind of digitizing behaviors that already exist I think what's really interesting in terms of innovation is more like taking going away from the technology and redistributing value. So for example, I think what you're gonna see more and more of is companies with the goal of making their employees very rich. You know, so for example, me, I mean, still need to work on my driving license, but I kinda of had this this how do you say this? This revelation that, you know, if I'm gonna buy my Audi R8, which is like, you know, it's 150k euros, it's a nice car. I don't want to be that dude that shows up to the office parking lot that sees his employees and he's like, well, if you work harder next year than you work this year, I can buy the new one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? and, and, and yeah. <laughs> it has to be that if I can buy that car, then all the other employees, at least the, you know, the senior ones, because obviously I'm going to pay interns well, but you know, you've got to earn your place at the top. Uh, but it should be that at least these top staff at level can also have that same level of purchasing power. You know, even if you're the founder, even if you take a little more sacrifices, you're rewarded in other ways. But people moving away from this position where there's a big capitalist, you know, so I'm not talking about voting shares, you know, control all this, that can be done in a healthy way. But at least distribution of wealth, understanding that people today are better informed and that it's really hard to look at talented people in the face and say, I'm making 100x more than you, but you know, you get to be passionate at this job. <laughs> so there, there is something to be said here about uh, a, a topic which perhaps we could dedicate a whole uh, podcast episode to, which is around the idea of designing the company economy, okay? And so that like 
really sometimes, you know, in startup world, in the business world, we talk about like business models, but really, you know, the business model is usually around pricing and, and how does the customer pay for the product? You know, is it a subscription? Is it, is it that kind of stuff? And to what extent, you know, maybe the cash flow checks out over two, three, five year period, stuff like that. And how much money does need to be raised in order to, uh, you know, keep the company growing and so on. Um, but, but, but really, that's very kind of surface way of thinking. Uh, the, the more comprehensive way of thinking would be to actually understand how does the money distribute across all the other six areas of the company, really, and how does, uh, how, how does it strengthen each area uh, so that the company keeps being balanced at every increment of its own evolution. And that may involve... Uh, some sort of internal share trading, for example, between employees uh, and all those kind of things, because shares are also a form of money, paper, you know, and so on. And, you know, in some sense, uh, platforms like Ethereum and so on, where at least they still are talking about it, but it's not necessarily as loud in my is as as it was before when the DAO thing was was on, but you know the discussions around distributed autonomous organization. Really, all the smart contracts are discussing around how to distribute the money in smart way through the organization uh, and and really automate that uh, process so that, for example, when employees do certain things that hit the certain growth KPIs. Uh, they can actually automatically get rewarded for those tasks and so on. So the, the system of the company can be automatically managing the economy of the money and distribution around. So you're actually just recognizing people for their work. So there is no necessarily CEO of the company or the, the CEO is the person who does the most valuable KPI related work and, you know, it could be the least qualified person with the most relevant uh, input and output that they, they generate, generate through the model. So it could be the intern that makes the most money because they're actually really delivering the value across the whole uh, organization. And the CEO who might have a MBA or executive MBA might actually start having to be coached by the intern who's actually clocked onto the next level of actual innovative thinking. That's really what, what I'm thinking about. And so that we're no longer talking about business models as in how to milk more money from the customer, but more around business models around how to redistribute wealth in a way that is actually making the wheel turn uh, stay more sustainable and actually turn faster uh, to to serve the purpose of the company and maybe even other companies' purposes. So I get what you're saying. I mean, um, I do understand how you know a, a newly arrived employee could actually make something really good to an organization. I do think having like you know one leader at the top that's there for a I'm this is a, highly I, unlikely that an yeah, intern yeah. is going to just rock yeah, up yeah. and become I better mean, than it CEO. Is awesome, but. right? But I mean, for me, like I'm more partisan of benevolent dictatorship, like. As long as the CEO is competent, I think it's healthy for a company to have ongoing leadership. But definitely to kind of stay in that same theme, I think what you'll see, and this ties nicely into products, is the definancialization of money, right? So right now, if you look at money inside a company, it's always, well, you know, the CEO signs the check and the financial policy is in the financial department, and then the budgets are set. 
So I think the products of like this kind of new approach to money will be a much more proactive, collaborative decision making on the attribution and distribution of money. And I like what you said as well about the DAO, so to speak, autonomous organizations. So connecting money to the business systems, to business outcomes, and having a much faster you know, action reward cycle between employee actions, I think that's a really good way. Because one other thing would I think would be despicable is you know, when you get into like discretionary bonuses and things like this, it produces just a culture that's terrible, right? And people talk about bias, diversity. At the end of the day, the best way to overcome all of this is to have an algorithm, and not necessarily code, but like clear rules for the distribution of money that are open to everyone, that are discussable by everyone, even if someone has the final word, but that are at least subject to discussion, and which apply to everyone in the same way, because that's what's going to reduce bias um, and any issues ultimately. So you could have a system internally inside the company. For example, let's say, you know, the purpose of the company is whatever it is, and then you require a bunch of people to do tasks, right, to uh, realize that purpose. They're going to do those tasks through a systemic process, and each task is assigned a certain level of value. It could be in that company's currency, internal currency, okay, which actually could get generated right let's say through this economic system the company's currency could get generated as people do the work and as they create a product through innovative thinking they create a product that's worth more and more in real terms real terms being let's say the money in the external world such as pound dollars uh bitcoin etc gold okay uh, so then you are rewarding people who are doing the work in the internal company's currency, let's say maybe even shares, okay? Because you can say, you can, you can just notionally say there's going to be 20 million shares, okay, for 20 million tasks or, you know, 20 million units of work that are needed to, to be executed for the company to, let's say, reach even to the MVP stage or something like that. And those, those people, as they work on it, they're gaining those shares. And then when the company goes into more of an actual earning the dollars, they can actually start then uh, cashing in those shares back for the dollars in the real world, something like that. That's what I talk about when I'm talking about like balancing the economy. And, it, uh, you know, I think you, you've had a go at like writing a few uh, sort of blockchain white papers. You know, when you start doing that, you, you hit the, the money thing and you start realizing, oh, this has got to be part of the code of the company, right, and how it works. And then it starts really, you really have to scratch your head thinking, how is money going to work here? I mean, that's actually very interesting what you said there. I like that idea. It's something to dive into deeper, but I do see that this could work very well in terms of, you know, because you can't just value, I mean, in essence, the I think the negative attitude is to directly equate effort to money, right? It's not about effort vs money, it's about effort vs results. But effort is also important. So I think, yeah, if you could like have a quantization of useful effort and then link that to when there is a result that's generated by a project which involves different people, um, the idea that you would have these shares that you could cash in and that project in its whole, because at the end of the day, if it doesn't deliver value, everybody wasted time, right? But once I think delivers value, people who built the value that combined delivers that value get rewarded. I think that's good. And the second thing as well, which is really interesting, is that for budgetization, for financial planning of future initiatives, you'd be able to have like a, a really granular um, insight into what the costs behind an initiative were 
and how you could save money in the future. Um, and so you know, talking about money, I'm not saying like cost saving in the sense of cost cutting everywhere, but at the end of the day, if we say that money is energy, energy, human energy, then we want to avoid wasting as much human energy as possible, right? And so the yeah. less work the people have to do for the same outcome, the better it is. And actually, the, the, you know, the key words and vocabulary of dilution in companies, so when you get investors, you have to issue more shares. So in this notional system that you discuss, if we were more effective on the subsequent project, less effort shares would have to be distributed which means that the existing people who put in effort get a higher share of the reward. Um, that's just some thinking there. So, yeah, I mean, so the, the idea here of shareholders, right, is like, you know, when it's even in the language. Most of the time, you know, people say, like, I'm buying into this company. Mm. What you really ought to be buying into is the purpose and the people and how they're doing this systemically, <laughs> you know, what kind of innovations they're picking up and so on. So let's say if the original founders of that company who perhaps worked for free, you know, because freedom is guaranteed to all of us, however much we're locked down, um, you know, they're working for free in their, you know, quarantines and they are, you know, agreeing at the beginning, which is how companies are created anyway in like companies house, for example, in UK, you say, well, this company is going to have um, 1 million shares, okay, and each share is worth 0 0.0001 pound, okay, so overall it's like one pound net worth, uh, but as you uh, assign the tasks for people to do and they earn the shares, which as the development happens, the shares gain more and more value in this imaginary, uh, you know, uh, um, share chart, okay, the external investors that might be coming in and saying, hey, I want, uh, I want to give you some of the hard and uh, freshly printed Fed dollars, okay? Um, they, they will be buying shares and then the internal stake shareholders in the company can just literally sell the shares in the internal marketplace of the company for those dollars and, and effectively cash them in. Uh, but they ought to be incentivized to, to then, um, you know, you know, continue working on the purpose of the company. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, so I think what you're talking with there is like, you know, the classic thing in any venture deal: primary, where you're investing money into the company, and secondary, where existing shareholders are selling effectively uh, their, their their money, right? So, uh, sorry, selling their shares. So I think there, if this is applicable, it's really just more of the same. But I think what's interesting then would really be going deeper, and this is kind of a future research topic, into this granular assignment of shares for, for effort and results, right? So instead yeah. of having, okay, I'll give you X percent, saying this is the initiative, out of the total budget of the company, this is, you know, if the person is working on a specific part of the company and the whole thing, this is the share pool assigned to this, and you will receive shares in exchange... You need to, but there's something to be done there. I think it would make it, it would really give an incentive for people to do stuff. You know, because it's easy to give shares. It's much harder for people to contribute ongoing basis. Yeah, and uh, it, it's like effectively we're just living in a in a global economy where where incentives are majorly uh, disbalanced, mm. uh, and and the and the person that has money but no purpose for it can literally just be sitting on that, hoarding it. And that's the case with 
big corporations and the biggest investors, which is kind of like, they literally say, uh, you know, Warren Buffett's got whatever billions, you know, that he's sitting on and he, he just says, I don't know what to deploy it to. Uh, what he means is like this, he doesn't really see any purposeful enough companies, you know, that, that deserve that money. Uh, and, um, you know, it's, so we're basically in some sort of stalemate economically, which is, which has become a massive bubble, which is now being deflated and then reinflated by new money printing. Like current thing is not working. Everyone knows it. And what the new thing will be, uh, who knows, but here is a suggestion, right? Of what might work. And it's actually not that different to what, works with there there are a few companies that that actually do this uh in quite a transparent manner so what's one of the social media companies that um that uh, helps you sort of post up uh, your instagram photos and uh, hootsuite uh, i think it's hootsuite uh, or buffer it's Buffer who actually has a report on their website. I think I shared this with you once before, you know, where they kind of show exact breakdown on what they spend their money on, like staff, costs, offices, la, 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 uh, and then how much they take in terms of profit. So it's very transparent in terms of how they run that. Uh, and um, so, so, so this, this is not a, a new thing here. It's just that it's very, very niche. It's like super hipster and it probably ought to be very sort of mainstream. Yeah? Makes sense. So, I mean, talking about mainstreaming best practices then, you know, we have the final topic of growth. I said before, the way we measure growth right now as a society, just purely in terms of money is not the right it's not sustainable, right? So if we're going to talk about growth, so far, like, you know, as society at least, growth has directly been equated to increase in money, increase in GDP, increase in financial success. And so I think there as well, it comes back to what we've previously said about purposeful growth, about money being a tool to achieve that purpose and being able to measure whatever impact you're having, right? So in that sense, I think when we talk about growth, money is not the end, it really is just the tool to fuel the metrics of your growth that are driven by your purpose. Yes, and um, again, the the model itself lends itself to the measures uh, that that you know one can set up um, in terms of the KPIs. So typically, the way I would use this, you know, when I'm working with clients, I would speak to them about each one of the areas, and I'd say, you know, what's the purpose of your company, and then they would state some usually kind of badly phrased phrase, but it's better than nothing. And then I would ask them, what's one way in which you can measure the realization of your purpose uh, per unit of time, whether it's hourly, daily, per minute, per month, and so on. And then regards it, regarding people, you know, there's like customer satisfaction measures. There is people happiness internally in terms of systems. There is a KPI around uh, uh, some sort of like... Uh, performance uh, per per unit of either time or you know uh, money and so on in terms of innovation it could be like the number of ideas that are generated per unit of time and so on and then products in terms of quality and satisfaction with customers in terms of money how much money is being made and in terms of growth how 
much the company is growing in respect to either people, systems, innovation, products, or money, or purpose, right? And so the KPIs ought to run at least one per area to have the measures of growth overall uh, in a balanced way, uh, as opposed to just going like, we're making more money. And then when you realize that when you comp- when the, the external situation changes, like it's changed now, suddenly everything stops and you are no longer making money. And suddenly you have to ask money from outside, as opposed to having something to fall back in on, which is an internal uh, working system that, that, that makes sense and that, that, that works irrespective of money. Certainly, and I think that's a good way, good way to end today's episode. It's really kind of, at the end of the day, money is, is great, right? Because it's an objective measure of your value and success in the marketplace. But really, what you should be doing is figuring out your purpose and then having people centered around that, taking care of them, right? And so what we've mm-hmm. got to stop doing, we've got to move beyond, mm-hmm. is money as the be-all and end-all. But not, you know, you can't, we can't go hippie like, ah, oh, man, now, there's an expression in French, vivre d'amour et de fraîche, which is living off of love and fresh water. Uh, you need a bit more than that to, <laughs> to live a fulfilled life, right? Yeah, lo- love um, doesn't get the job done, as Dan Pena would say, but there has to be an element of love there because hate also doesn't get the job done. Exactly, exactly. Balance, so, balance is the key. Balance is key. I think that's <laughs> a great way to, to end it right. on today's episode. So, um, yeah, I definitely don't hate you, my brother. I very much love you and love to every listener as well. And thank you very much for tuning in. We're hopefully going to get some very interesting speakers in next episode. So, uh, fingers crossed for that. Uh, see you on the next one. See you on the next one. Bye-bye.